Genesis 12 Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. If you are anything, anything like me, you have been on an emotional roller coaster this week. Some have made the police to be heroes, and others have blamed law enforcement, seemingly more than the perpetrator, for the extent of the atrocities in Uvalde. This was a domestic situation where those who responded to combat evil and were shot were law enforcement officers. Other times in our history, those on the wrong end of a weapon were our soldiers, our sailors, and our airmen. Now, this, this weekend is a time when patriotism runs a, a little more intense than most because the sacrifices made by thousands on behalf of others can be misconstrued somehow to merit heaven. But unfortunately, battleground cemeteries are filled with the bodies of many who are not in the presence of God, regardless of their heroic sacrifice on our behalf. Now, you have expectations of this weekend... And your expectations of this holiday weekend can get a preacher into a lot of hot water. If I say too little about those that we remember, then you may think that I am disrespecting our military and our country. If I say too much about deceased soldiers, I may be accused of exalting our military over God's universal and eternal kingdom. If a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, 
attended this service from another country, who would he or she conclude is our hero based upon our worship this morning? What does all of this have to do with Abram? You can read your Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to maps, and never see the United States of America named. God has never made any direct covenants with the United States of America. However, God has instituted principles that lead to being blessed by Him. Principles such as Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Or Deuteronomy 11 that says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I commanded you to obey. Or Deuteronomy chapter 30 I have called, or I do call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. A culture of life compared to a culture of death The culture of life is a blessing that comes from God. Many of your loved ones who sacrificed for our freedom would scarcely recognize the America that we have become. But today's passage in front of us clearly teaches that there is a group of people to whom God made a directed and an everlasting promise. Now, to the best of my knowledge, there is only one person who regularly worships with us, who's not here today, by the way, who traces his lineage back to Abram. But there are many others who have been blessed by a descendant of Abram and have been grafted into these blessings by being found in Christ. But as a group, others, such as the United States of America, can only be grouped into that blessing depending upon our cooperation with God's purpose for His chosen people. God chose a people and he says, I will bless you unconditionally. Others may be blessed if they bless you, but they are not unconditionally blessed. That promise was made with Abram and his descendants. Join with me in Genesis chapter 12 as we see this direct promise and that second level blessing that may relate to to us. As you are making your way towards Genesis 12, you may look right past Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11 kind of clears out in verse 31, and this is actually, um, look at that, now the lights don't work. This is two separate maps, 
And the one on the right in the extreme lower right-hand corner is Ur, Babylon. And as we read the end of chapter 11, Abram's family, Abram's father takes his family out of Ur, which is Baghdad, up to the top to the city of Haran. Now, if you're wondering about that little green stripe over on the top, there are some who believe that there was a region of Ur that was closer to Haran than Baghdad. But the Bible says it was Ur of the Chaldees, the Chaldeans. So I believe it is specifically speaking of what is current day Baghdad was ancient Ur. And Abram took his family out of Ur up to Haran. Then chapter 12 begins with God telling Abram to leave Haran and to head south in that left map. He will head south to Shechem, which is the spot where the orange turns to green. Later on, he will come to Bethel, which is where the green turns to red, and eventually to the southern region of the Negev. So this kind of frames where all these cities are. Because we haven't driven through these cities in the last week, month, year, decade. So these cities may not make sense. And this kind of frames it for us. As Abram, Abram's father went to Haran, chapter 12 tells, tells Abram to leave Haran and to go where God will lead. And as they are traveling, when we get to verse 2, the Lord promises a legacy of population. He says in chapter 2, or chap, verse 2 of chapter 12, I will make you, Abram, a great nation. Now this use of the word nation is not limited to a government with the geography. One resource in my library defined this word as it's a people group sharing a common ancestry or a socio-political identity. So this isn't talking about a nation, it's talking about a people group. And the Lord promises to Abram, I will make your descendants a great number of people. There are many leaders in our own country who do not keep Torah, they've never been to Israel, they may not even acknowledge Yahweh. Yet they identify themselves as a descendant of Abraham, as a Jew, as a part of this population that was promised. There are many Jews who have never been to Israel, the nation. The Jewish people were a distinct group even when their land was occupied by other geopolitical powers. There are many Jews who choose not to be part of national Israel. There are Jewish people in our country who are proud of their Judaism, but they are not Israelis. Yet Israel, as a nation, is the only people descended from Abraham, Abram's child of promise who lay claim to that territory. Just as an American citizen who happens to be abroad is no less American... A Jew outside of Israel does not lose any of his Jewishness. And so this great population of people is not limited to the nation 
of Israel. God made a unilateral promise to Abram that he would have a son and the offspring of that son would become a great people group no matter where they were located. And the individuals of this great family are also part of a great heritage. If the first promise, the promise of a legacy of population, is a promise of quantity, next we see a promise of quality, where the Lord pledges a lovely prominence. Not only does he say, will I make you a great nation? He goes on to say, I will make your name great. I don't know of any other people group who has been more attacked, yet come out more on top. The Egyptians tried to crush this family through slavery. The Assyrians will dissolve the northern kingdom through compromise. The Babylonians will try to squeeze them into obscurity through assimilation, as seen in Daniel and his three friends. The Persians will try to mediate the influence of the Jews by containing them within Jerusalem. The Roman emperors will restrict them through backroom deals with the high priest, then make Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. As Christianity and then Islam increase, the Jewish people will be disregarded. The Nazis will exterminate millions in the name of the Third Reich. I don't know of any other people group who has been more attacked, yet remains and comes out on top. Because the Lord has pledged a prominence to the Jewish people. Through all of this persecution, the people maintain a prominence in the hand of God until they were recognized as a country in 1948. From November 1917 until May 1948, movements within the British Empire surfaced to provide a place of their own in Palestine for the Jewish people. And come May 1948, against the objections of the Arabs, the UN declared Israel an independent state with David Ben-Gurion as their prime minister. On that very date, both Harry Truman on behalf of the United States of America and Joseph Stalin on behalf of the Soviet Republic the two world superpowers after World War II, they both recognized the right of Israel to be an independent state. See, the Lord had pledged a prominence to Israel. In 1948, they are given their place, and this prominence demonstrated is God's protection of these chosen people, and it is now being recognized by other world leaders. Even when America claimed to be a Christian nation and the Soviets claimed atheism, leaders had to acknowledge what God proposed in chapter 12, verse 3. What the Lord proposes is a limitless preference. He tells them, anybody who blesses these people will be blessed. Anybody who curses these people will be cursed. And so these world leaders, even though they're not Jewish, they realize that the Lord has placed a preferential um, honor 
upon the Jewish people. And this is where our nation can be found in this text. Because in the third part of verse 2, going on into verse 3, we read that God gives Abram's descendants the ability to bless others. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your descendants, and your descendants will be able to bless others. And that's us. And then God directly blesses those who recognize the Jewish people as special. God says, I will bless those who bless you. Abram's descendants deserve preferential treatment. And those who extend this preferential treatment can receive God's promised blessing. Do you want God's blessing? It seems wise of us to bless those that God has blessed. I watched an interesting interview this week with some who specialized in polling about attitudes towards Israel. Now, first thing I have to say is polls do not determine what's true. Polls simply reveal people's attitudes about what is true. And as I watched this interview, they identified three distinct groups of Americans that they call evangelicals. Now, for the purpose of this study, an evangelical is anybody who's not Catholic who identifies as part of Christendom. They may or may not be born again, but if they consider themselves part of Christianity and they're not Catholic, they would qualify as an evangelical for this study. And those who did the study to find out attitudes about Israel identified one group, and that group is those who were born before 1990, the majority of us in this room, who tend to view the Jews as victims. The Jews were victimized by the Nazis. The Jews were victimized by other anti-Semitic people. And because they were victimized, absolutely they deserve to have their own country. That's one group of people. However, there's another group of evangelicals, people in Christendom, may or may not be born again. And that group was born since 1990. And those who were born since 1990, they're now 30 years old or younger, they view the Jews as the aggressors and the Palestinians as the victims. And so they're generally opposed to Israel, and they're pro-Palestine. And then there is a third group. The third group is those that I would identify as true evangelicals. Those who live according to the authority of the word of God. And since God has spoken in his word, what he says is more important than my perception. It doesn't matter if I perceive them to be victims or aggressors. This third group, those who believe in the authority of God's word, are those who support Israel, and we support Israel because of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that tells us those who bless you will be blessed. 
See, whether the media tries to persuade any other way or politicians may try to diminish support for Israel, those who read Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and they conclude it is in our best interest to give preferred position to Israel at the table of world politics. See, it's one thing to say that the the Jews ought to be able to observe their religion wherever they may be located. It's another to recognize that the Lord provides a location of property for the Jewish people. We read in verse 7, I will give this land. This land, the land of Morah, as described in verse 6, is kind of like Beto Junction to us. Beto Junction is a center point of four points. And Mora was the center point of the Mediterranean Sea to the west, the Jordan River to the east, the Sea of Galilee to the north, and the Dead Sea to the south. And so right in the middle of this piece of property, in a land um, just north of Bethel, See, Bethel is close to Jerusalem. This is a little bit further north. And then eventually, Abram will move down to Bethel. He's going to build a house between Bethel and Ai. And then eventually, he's going to continue heading south. But in the middle of this land where Abram was traveling from north to south, it will be given more specific boundaries in Joshua chapter 14, 18, 23, when Joshua leads the conquest roughly 700 years later. And so we will get more specific boundaries. But God says to Abram, your people belong here. And that's why evangelicals today support the nation of Israel existing as they do. Now, politicians may um, make their arguments based upon possession. And they say, because of those who live there, Gaza and the West Bank belong to Palestine. But I would argue that based upon the proclamation of God Almighty by the one who created and thereby owns the earth, the God who made the earth says, Abram, your descendants belong here. And because God has said that, I believe these apportions extend all the way down to the Gulf of Agaba. God provides a property for his promised people. Now, I realize this sermon up to this point may seem like a lot of history, geography, and politics. But in a time when there are so many different visions of what America should be, there are four absolutes that you would be wise to consider coming out of this chapter. The first absolute is, as an individual, you can be assured of God's blessing if you are found in Christ by trusting in Him alone for your relationship with Him. God will give preference to those who are found in Christ, Christ being a the descendant of Abram in the last part of verse 3. 
as a country, we can be assured of God's blessing to the extent that we bless His people. The moment any nation turns their collective back on the Jewish people is the moment God's blessing is taken away. Thirdly, as a society, we can receive God's blessing by turning away from a culture of death and choosing life. When we recognize God as the author of life from conception until natural death, that includes lives in an elementary school. That includes lives of people of dark skin in a grocery store in Buffalo. When we turn our back on a culture of death and turn towards a culture of life that values all life, Deuteronomy chapter 30 promises God's blessing. As an, as an individual be found in Christ, as a country, we can bless God's people. As a society, we can turn towards life. And fourthly, as a people, we can receive God's blessing to the extent that we obey what He has instructed. Which I said in Deuteronomy chapter 11 in my introduction. Principles that God has put in place. Now there is only so much that we can do about our country. There's only so much we can do about our society. There's only so much we can do about our people. But as an individual, you can know today that you are in Christ and that His Spirit is in you and you can experience the blessing of God, even if you're not a descendant of Abram. You can know that you are in Christ and He is in you. And it is this relational communion with the God who is, the Son who died and rose again, and the Spirit who indwells that we celebrate at the Lord's table. In a moment, a three-minute video by famed theologian J.I. Packer will explain the significance of the Lord's Supper. As the video is playing, if you did not receive the elements when you came in, if you would simply raise your hand, our elders will serve you and make sure that you have the bread and the cup so that we can share together in a moment. But at this time, I invite you to direct your attention to the screen as we reflect upon the importance of the communion observance. <laughs> 